0: tonight's subject is entitled the purified temple and so if you would just bow your heads with me for a word of prayer we will jump right into it heavenly father we thank you tonight lord for your word and for your truth father as we look tonight at this important message the temple purified the purified temple please lord open our eyes and our hearts that we may be receptive to your truth we pray this in jesus name amen amen Tonight's message is the Purified Temple. We are going to begin where we have begun almost every night looking at the rebellion in heaven. In Ezekiel 28 and verse 18, the Bible tells us there, speaking of Lucifer, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquity, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth the fire from the midst of thee. Satan defiled what the Bible called sanctuaries or his sanctuaries. And I just want to take another look at that term, sanctuary. In the Bible, each created being is seen as a temple or a sanctuary. So not only did Lucifer defile the heavenly temple, the heavenly sanctuary of God, but he also defiled his own temple, his own sanctuary, as it were, his own being. 1 Corinthians 3:16 16, 17 tells us, Know ye not that you are the what? temple of God. How many of you realize that you are a temple of God? Bible says. Know not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. You've got two things here. You've got the temple and you've got the spirit. And beloved, the, the spirit wants to dwell in our temples. We talk about the temple, we're talking about this physical body here. And so you've got the temple, you've got the spirit and then the Bible says if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God do what? Destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Remember, this is the very reason why Satan himself was cast out of heaven, because he defiled the what? Temple. Not only did he defile the heavenly temple, but now we're seeing that he also defiled his own temple. He also defiled himself. Bible goes on to say in Ezekiel 28, 16, By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. How did Satan defile his own temple? He sinned. He defiled his own temple by sinning. That sin came from within him, he said, in his heart. And so within himself, there was now sin roaming around in his body, as it were. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane or as unclean out of the mountain of God. I will destroy the old covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. So beloved Satan or Lucifer became what we would now call a what kind of a spirit? An unclean spirit. God said, I'm going to cast you as unclean or as profane, as filthy out of the mountain of God because you did what? Defiled your temple or defiled your sanctuary. Now, let me ask you a question. If Satan and all created beings represent uh, temples, I guess I kind of gave away the answer. We understood, as, as earlier said, that you and, I, you and I represent temples. What would be Satan's goal? The goal of this unclean spirit in terms of you and I? What would Satan's goal be concerning our temples? To defile or to make unclean. So let's get that again. Satan defiled his own temple in heaven, his own body. The Bible says, know ye not that you're the temple of God. Whosoever destroys his temple, him will God what? Destroy. And Satan, beloved, wants us to be destroyed. And one of the surest ways to do that is to cause us to defile our temples. And who better to do it than unclean spirits? That's their job, right? To make what? Unclean. In particular, the devil wants us to defile our temples with the spirit of rebellion. And beloved, this is the only thing that really and ultimately defiles our temple. When we have the spirit or the heart of rebellion within us. And so Lucifer's goal is to to try to get us or try to defile our temples or try to have us defile our temples ourselves. Two ways to defile the temple, in the body and in the spirit. Remember the Bible says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, talking about the body, and the spirit of God wants to do what? Dwell in you. Well, Satan realizes that if he wants to defile us, he can do it in two ways, either in body or in what? Or in spirit. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are brought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ephesians 5 and 5 tells us, For this ye know. That no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So again, Lucifer's whole goal as he defiled his own temple in the heavenly uh, courts, he now wants us to defile our own temples. And Lucifer will try to do that in two ways, physically and spiritually, in the body or in the spirit. And beloved, tonight we're going to talk about two very important subjects Extremely important subjects, and I hope you will see the relevance of these particular subjects as we get into them. Revelation 21 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that does what? Defileth. Speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Nothing is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. How many of you want to be written in the Lamb's book of life? All right, so let's contrast that. To be written in the Lamb's book of life means that you have nothing defiling in your what? In your temple, in your body, or in your spirit? Very good. To, at first, or first rather, we're going to look at bodily corruption. How is it that Lucifer is trying to get the world to corrupt itself bodily today? To do this, we're going to look at the flood. That great incident that took place so long ago where God called Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build an ark because the whole world has done something. Notice what Genesis 6, 11, and 12 says, the earth... ...also was what? Corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The same Lucifer that had been cast out of heaven, that had filled heaven with what? Violence. How many of you remember that from Ezekiel 28? They have filled the midst of thee with violence. This same Lucifer that filled heaven with violence... And corrupted his own ways before God as he's cast down to the earth. We find here in Genesis 6, 11, and 12 that God is about to destroy planet earth. And the reason given is because humanity had done what? Corrupted themselves before God. Bible says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all what? Flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. How did the unclean spirits corrupt all flesh? That's the question we have. What is it that the unclean spirits that had fallen from heaven, what is it that they did that brought on the flood? And beloved, the answer may surprise you. Notice Matthew 24, 37 38. The Bible says, but as the days of Noah were, so also also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He's saying here, as it was just before the flood, so also the same conditions will exist just before the Son of Man comes. So is it fair to conclude That the Son of Man, part of the reason why the Son of Man will come will be because the same sins that existed before the flood will also be being carried on before Jesus comes again. Does that make sense? All right, very good. What were the conditions? You're going to look at this and say, I don't see anything wrong with this, but notice what it says. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were doing what? Eating and drinking. What else? Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah excuse me, entered into the ark. So you look at this and you go, hold on. I don't see anything wrong with eating and drinking or what? Marrying and giving in marriage. Why would these things bring a flood upon the earth? Well, first of all, we do see that the Bible tells us that the earth was corrupt and it was filled with violence. That's one of the reasons violence was upon the face of the earth. But now we want to take a look at this marrying and giving in marriage, because it's not what you think it is. In Genesis 6, 1 and 2, the Bible speaking of this time of the flood, it says, and it came to pass, just before the flood, it came to pass when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of who? God saw the daughters of who? Men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all which they Chose. Now, why is this such a, I mean, this is what Jesus referred to. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Is there something wrong with what's going on here? Yes. Who were the sons of God? Very, very good. Abel, all the righteous descendants. Remember that there was to be two lines. There was the line of Abel and there was the line of Cain, which basically represented the righteous and the wicked. The sons of God represented the righteous. The daughters of men simply represented those who were rebelling against God. Those who didn't want God as their as their lot. Some people say, "Oh, the sons of God were, were the sons of God were angels, and the daughters of men represented humanity." But beloved, angels and humans cannot get together and form anything. Jesus himself tells us that uh, in the book of Matthew, I believe it is, where he says the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. So there weren't angels appearing on earth marrying men. We're talking about the righteous and the wicked actually beginning to come together and set aside their differences and marry. Notice what the Bible says concerning this in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Be ye not unequally yoked together with who? Unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship hath righteousness with what? unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what concord has Christ with Belial, or what part have he that believeth with an infidel? It goes on to say, and what agreement has the temple of who? God with idols. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, beloved, one of the ways in which we can defile our temples, the Bible says, is by being unequally what? Yoked with the unbelieving. With those who say, I don't want anything to do with God. Why would that defile the temple? Is there something wrong with touching an unbeliever? No. Is there something wrong with being a friend of an unbeliever? No. But what God is saying here is that he has given us a commandment, just like in heaven. All that were to be neighbors in heaven, all that were to be unified in heaven, were to be unified in spirit and in Truth. And beloved, when we say to ourselves, you know what, I know what God says, but I love this man so much that I'm going to go and rebel against what God says, what is being revealed in the temple? The spirit of? Rebellion. Self-centeredness. And this is what defiled the sanctuary, the temples of these people, is that they began to just go against God's will and marry whomever they wanted to, to, to marry. Not only was this the case, beloved, but we find... Let me read here again, wherefore come out from among them and be separate, say the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive, receive you. Now we're going to find here that not only were the people of that time marrying and giving in marriage and marrying whomever they chose, but when you begin to do that, beloved, your, your walk with God begins to suffer. And as these people began to move further and further away from God, we're going to see some of the defiling activities in Leviticus 20, where God says these were what the nations around you, speaking to Israel, now this is way after the flood, but speaking to Israel, these are what the nations around you were doing that were defiling themselves. And I want you to notice some of these things. In Leviticus 20, verse 10, adultery was a defiling thing. Adultery defiled the temple. Do you think that there was a lot of adultery going on before the flood? Yeah, there was violence going on. I'm sure that people were taking whoever they chose. The Bible says they were taking whatever wife they chose, they would just take them. So there's a lot of violence. We know that there was a lot of adultery. Verse 11 tells us that incense was, incest was going on. These are reasons why God destroyed nations around Israel and not Israel because he gave Israel all these rules and principles. So incest was going on. How many of you think incense, incest was a prevalent problem before the flood? Had to be. What about verse... Th- Well, let's look at verse 13, rather, which speaks about homosexuality. Question, do you think that homosexuality was going on before the flood? Do you think that was one of the sins that God had to destroy this world for back there before the flood? Yeah, beloved, Satan doesn't come up with anything new. Just in case you think homosexuality is a new thing. Bestiality, verse 15. Men were sleeping with animals and vice versa, and beloved, you... you, you, Begin to get this idea of what was going on, even back then before the flood, that caused God to say, you know what, this whole earth is fully what? Corrupt, perverse, and I've got to destroy it. Now, let's move to the issue of eating and drinking, because this is what we're going to focus on. Leviticus 20, that same chapter that spoke about the defining practices, I want you to notice verse 23, 25, and 26. Speaking of Israel, God says, And you shall not walk in the manners of the nations which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhor them. And that's what we're talking about, bestiality and adultery and all those things. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, you shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and what? Unclean and between unclean fowls and clean. And you shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl, or by any manner of living thing that creepeth upon the ground, which I have separated from you as what? Unclean. And you shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other what? People that you should be mine. Question. Based on this verse, is it fair for us to assume that one of the reasons why God destroyed the nations of old, and now we're talking about even after the flood, we're talking about in the time of Israel where they have been led out of Egyptian captivity, God says to them, the nations that I'm about to overthrow, the nations that I have overthrown for you, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, that among, among the other abominable things they were doing, is it fair to assume that one of the abominable things they were doing was that they were eating all kinds of things? Is that what the verse says? I mean, is that pretty clear? God says, I don't want you to be like other people because out there in the world, they were in those other nations, they were not putting difference between what? Clean and unclean. Now let me ask you a question. I'm just going to throw this out here right up front. How many of you if there was a dead cow right here laying on you walked in a church and there was just a dead cow you don't know how it died it was just dead and it was partially rotted. and you came in and said hey you know what man free meat let's have a meal how many of you would do that? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Why? Why wouldn't you do that? You don't know anything about unclean but why wouldn't you do that? What are you thinking about? If I eat that thing, what's going to happen to me? I may get very, very sick. I may pick up something that I don't want to deal with. And whatever, what was happening in this time is that people were, were not caring about the temple at all. They were saying, hey, we're going to eat whatever we want to. Not question, God has given us this temple as a gift. How should we treat it? How should we treat it? We should treat it as though we realize that it is a gift from God. Well, God is saying here that in the very fact that they were eating in the way that they were eating, they were showing it was like a spit in God's face. They were saying to God, "Look, you give me this temple, but I don't care. I'm going to do with it what I want to do." And what principle was revealed? The principle of self-centeredness. Notice what Leviticus 11:44 says: "For I am the Lord your God; you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be what." Holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you do what? Defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Beloved, in God's eyes, one of the ways in which humanity can defile themselves is by eating things that are unclean. Eating things, creeping things upon the earth. Do God sound good? Anybody want to have some worm delight? God says, don't do it because you will defile yourself. You're not taking care of the temple which I have given you. And really, this is simply an outplaying of the great controversy that took place in heaven where Satan himself defiled his what? His temple. Leviticus eleven forty six and 47. The Bible says here, This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. So was there a time where God had a law that set aside the difference between beasts that can be eaten and beasts that cannot be eaten? Yes or no? All right, very good. Now I want you to notice that this law was not a new law when it was given to the Hebrews there in, uh, after they had been led out of Egypt. We're going to look at the original diet for mankind first. And what do you think the original diet for mankind was? Beef. Chicken. Pork chops. And God said, behold, I've given you every what? Herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for." meat, just to point something out here, when the Bible speaks of meat, it does not mean always mean flesh food it simply means food, I've given it to you for food, so their meat was to be all the fruits and herb yielding seeds of, you know, that God had created now, God being the maker of this temple, do you think he knew what would be best to go in it? yes and notice the diet he gives to a world free of sin, he says I don't want you going around killing animals you, even the animals, we don't have this in here, if you read verse 30 even the animals were given this very same diet to eat. So there was no killing going on. Nobody was eating anybody else. Now, Genesis 3, 5. What was the test that came upon Adam and Eve? The test which they failed? It was the test of eating from a certain tree. Notice that the test had to do with appetite. And some of us think, oh, appetite doesn't matter. But beloved, do you realize that all these hurricanes and world wars and disasters, natural disasters and terrorism, all these things are a result of someone not controlling their appetite? You ever thought about that? Is it really all about appetite or was it about the spirit of rebellion? That's what the real issue is, beloved. And notice what Satan says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.5. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Now, beloved, he was lying here because once Adam and Eve ate from this tree, what began to happen is that they began to lose their God-given ability to do what? Discern between good and evil, and let me add in there, between clean and unclean. And this is where we get to the place in the Antediluvian, in the flood, where now they're just doing whatever. They're just eating whatever. We get down to the the Exodus, and God has to re instruct His people again listen, there is a law between clean and unclean. You don't just eat anything because in doing so, you defile the temple. Notice Genesis 7 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah was not doing what everybody else was doing. How many of you would like to be seen as righteous by God? Amen. He says here, I've seen the righteous in this generation, and then he says, of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, and he was to bring these animals into the ark. Now, some people say, you know, the law of clean and unclean was given during the Exodus. If that is true, how in the world could Noah have known what were clean beasts and unclean beasts? No way. This law was understood even before the time of the exodus and Noah gets seven pairs of clean beasts to bring them into the ark. Why? Because when God rains upon this world upon the world to destroy it, what's going to happen to all the vegetation? It's going to be destroyed, totally wiped out. And so it is at this time that God now allows humanity to start eating flesh food. But what kind of flesh food does he allow them to eat? Anything they want? No? The clean, the clean. And we'll find that as we come to the book of Leviticus, where God gives us in Leviticus chapter 11, the outline of those things which we can eat. And Leviticus 11 verse 3 tells us, whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed, that means it f- feet were parted, and cheweth the cud among the beast, that shall you eat. Why did God give this command? Because basically, beloved, when you study scientifically these animals, what they have found is scientifically these animals digest their food much better than animals that don't do both those things, have the part of the hoof and chew the cut. And what that means is that, beloved, when we eat of these animals that God has said, these are the animals that you can eat from, you find that you have less diseases where the animals that don't do this are animals that are usually eating other dead animals their stomachs are formed differently, and they don't digest as well. So, beloved, if you see some animal eating some other dead animal, someone comes, some animal comes in and he starts eating that cow. The dead cow. And then you say, well, man, I'm not going to touch a dead cow, but I'll, I'll kill the living animal that was eating the dead cow. Free meat. Anybody? No, we're not going to do that. Why? Because all we're doing is getting that dead cow second hand. And God says here, there are certain animals that do this that I don't want you to eat from. And so... What are some of those animals? Camels, beloved, I'm sorry. I know this is hard. But biblically speaking, at least so far in the Old Testament, you cannot eat camel. Because God said in doing that, you defile the temple. Why? Not only, it's not only because the camel doesn't do the things that God says, but because he, when he says it and you rebel against it, what are you doing to your own temple? You're defiling it by the spirit of rebellion. Remember, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So, no camels. Rabbits, dry those tears. But this is another animal, biblically speaking, that is unclean. The hare, the swine. The swine. And you know, I mean, we can, we can start to go scientifically on the swine. I'm not going to do that. I think everybody in here knows that. All you got to do is go, you know, type in swine on the internet and see what are the... the uh, the detriments of actually taking that animal into your body. This scavenger, by the way, that will eat anything. God says it's unclean, and He says don't touch it. What about insects? Leviticus eleven twenty: All fowls that creep, going upon all fours, shall be an abomination unto you. Now, beloved, we're not talking about birds here. The Bible is actually talking about flying insects. So, sorry to say it, go home, clear out that refrigerator all those insects, no flies, I'm sorry. We've got to get rid of the mosquitoes. Isn't this hard? I mean, why would God prohibit us from eating flies and mosquitoes? He's trying to take away our fun. Right, exactly. No butterflies, pretty as they may be. What about birds? Leviticus 11:13 tells us that the eagles, and you'll notice that all these animals are vultures, they eat off of dead animals. The eagles, the vulture, the hawk, the raven, the owl, all these things according to the Bible are unclean. What about sea creatures? Leviticus 11, 9, and 10 tells us, These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Whatsoever has fins and scales in the waters, in the seas and in the rivers, then shall ye eat. So God says, listen, if you're going to eat sea creatures, simply make sure that they have fins and they have what? Scales. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers, of all that move in the waters, and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. What are the unclean fish then? We're going to hear some gasps now. Lobsters, beloved, yes. And you know what? Here is where the great controversy comes into play, beloved. Here is where you find out what law is dwelling in your temple. Here is where you say, okay, either the law of self-sacrificing love. Lord, I am a Christian. I do want to be under your leadership. I will obey you no matter what it costs me. Or you say, Lord, you're a nice God and everything. But between you and lobster, I choose the lobster. Beloved, it's not so much the fact that the lobster is unclean because God has the power to clean us up no matter what. People have drugs in their systems. God can clean them up and all those things. The real issue is the spirit of rebellion. That's what really defiles the temple, beloved. Shrimp. Crabs. You know, I used to love crabs, but that is a disgusting food. I mean, that is disgusting. I remember, didn't know how to eat crabs at one point in time. When I was at college and, you know, they had a crab truck come and I was like, man, how do you eat these things? And they would tell me, well, yeah, you know, you open a crab up and then you see all that brown stuff there. And I'm going, yeah, they're saying that's the waste. And I'm going, what do you mean the waste? Yeah, that's the, you know, the stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean the stuff? Yeah, that's. And when I finally got what they were saying, I was like, tell me you don't eat this. And then they actually convinced me that i oh, just wipe it off and, and eat. <laughs> oh, boy. But beloved. God says, I don't want you to do the defiling things that the nations are used to doing that they see nothing wrong with because I have called you to be a peculiar and separate people. Oysters, clams. Okay, we're over now. I mean, not yet, but we're over on the seafood thing. God says, I want you to follow me to obey me. I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. Notice Leviticus 22, 8. The Bible tells us, that which dies of itself or is torn with beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself therewith. I am the Lord. So again, even if something were clean, like a cow or chicken or whatever you may have, if it died of itself, God says don't what? Eat of it. If it is polluted, if it is poisoned, if it is uh, not healthy don't eat of it and beloved let me tell you i'm a vegetarian and part of the reason is because as i look at some of the ways in which they take care of the animals that they are slaughtering beloved it's a, you are taking a great risk today not knowing what's going on with your food and i'm like you know what it's better for me just to go back to the genesis diet because that way my temple is in a better condition than it would have been had i just continued eating and just you know playing a game of russian roulette don't eat of anything that dies of itself does this go for fruit Does this go for fruit as well? Should we eat rotten fruit? Sorry, guys. If you have the rotten fruit in your refrigerator, you've got to go home and get rid of it. You have to. Simply because God loves you. He doesn't want you to poison yourself. He doesn't want you to kill yourself. And that's what we do, beloved, when we just eat whatever we want to eat. Now, I want you to notice the New Testament because people say, well, in New Testament times, things have changed. We are now under the gospel of Grace. Well, I want you to notice something, first of all, in the book of Mark, chapter 5. This is the story. Jesus Christ is coming out of a ship, and as he comes, there comes a madman, two madmen, actually, and they are possessed with what the Bible calls an unclean spirit. I want you to notice this. When he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, "'What am I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high?' God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Bible says, and he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is what? Legion, for we are many. And now notice what Legion does. It says, And he besought him, that is Jesus, much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there were nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Not question, why would unclean spirits, we're in a New Testament times now. Why would unclean spirits say, hmm, what can we, there's some swine. Why would unclean spirits go into the swine? Unclean is, un, is attracted to? To unclean. Here in the New Testament, beloved, we're seeing that the demons themselves are showing us that the swine were an unclean animal. And Jesus says, yeah, they're unclean. So I let you go into them. Jesus would not cast the unclean animal, unclean demons into some other clean person or some other clean things. He says, oh, you want to go into the swine? Sure. Because they're already what? Unclean. So that's what Jesus thinks of swine. At least so far. Forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were all choked in the sea. Now, there's another place in the book of Acts where uh, Peter has a vision. How many of you have ever heard of this vision? Peter's vision. (coughs) Peter sees an animal, or rather, uh, he's. this is found in Acts chapter 10. I'm just going to kind of run you through it. You can read it on your own time. But in Acts 10, Peter's hungry. And uh, he goes up on a housetop to pray and just as he begins to pray, he sees this vision of a sheet knit at four corners. The sheet is let down out of heaven and there are all manner of unclean animals on the sheet. And Peter hears a voice that says to him, let's read it, and he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise Peter, kill and what? Eat. But Peter said, "Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is what common or unclean." Now this is after Jesus has died and resurrected and gone to heaven. Peter was with Jesus for three and a half years, and during that three and a half years, did Peter? Do you think Jesus gave Peter any lessons on abolishing this law of clean and unclean meats? It's obvious, not because Peter, after three and a half years with Christ, says, "Hey, God." Is this you talking to me? Because you know and I know that I'm not supposed to eat anything unclean. But this is done three times. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. The Bible goes on to say that Peter, while Peter was doubting what this vision should mean, three Gentiles, whom by the way, the Jews considered to be what? Unclean, come to him and they say, our master beckons you. That master happened to be a man by the name of Cornelius who was a Gentile, but a God fearing Gentile. Now, Peter would have never gone with these three Gentiles, but in the vision, he was told, the Holy Spirit told him, three men come to seek you, go with them, doubting nothing. So Peter says, okay, I'm going to go with you. You know that I'm a Jew, and otherwise I'm supposed to stay away from you, but I'm going to go with you because the Holy Spirit has already told me that I should go with you and doubt nothing. Peter gets to Cornelius' home, and he finds there a man that is truly converted, and it is then that Peter finally gets the meaning of the vision, and notice what he said. He said unto them, Acts ten twenty eight. You know that it is unlawful—that is an unlawful thing—for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any animal common or unclean. Any what? Man, common or unclean. This vision has nothing to do with God saying, okay, Peter, now you can eat all kinds of animals that you want to eat. No, he was telling Peter, listen, that which you at once looked at as unclean in terms of humanity through my sacrifice is now clean. Did Jesus die to cleanse the pig? No, beloved. He died to cleanse humanity. He died to cleanse your temple. How many of you would like to have a clean temple? That's what he died for, beloved. And to die, to have Jesus die to cleanse your temple, and then refuse to have that temple cleansed is nothing more than the spirit of rebellion. So, get another text. Now this is Romans chapter 14, and this text is one that a lot of people say, oh, see, this really doesn't matter. Romans 14, <coughs> the Bible says here, him that is weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believe that he may eat How much? All things, another who is weak, eateth herbs only. Now, I'm just going to go through this as we go verse by verse. How many of you think here Paul is saying, hey, you know, one person believes that he can eat anything he wants. So, you know, man, some of you look good out there today, so I think I want to eat you. It's okay now, according to Romans 14, right? I can go ahead and eat a human. Cannibalism is okay. How many of you agree with me? Nobody? Not one hand? Cannibalism is not all right? Not according to Romans 14? So if you went over to a cannibal country, and they said to you, hey, we want to eat you, and this is not a sin, and they pull out the Bible, and they open Romans 14, you would say, brother, that's not what that's talking about. How many of you would say that? All right, very good. So we know that the all things cannot mean all things. That term must be qualified. One who is weak, one who is what? What? weak, eateth herbs. Now we're going to find out what that term means, one who is weak. goes on to say, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. In other words, we're talking about two Christians here, two people who have said, God, whatever you said, whatever you say, we're going to do. That's what a Christian is same chapter goes on to say, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he does not regard regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he... That eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Let me explain what this verse is saying, because people say, Ah, look at this verse, we don't need to keep the Sabbath, and we can eat whatever we want to eat. No, beloved. One of the issues that was happening in Paul's time, you remember uh, the story of the, the publican and the Pharisee, they were both praying, and what did the Pharisee say? Lord, I fast twice a week, food and days. And the Pharisee here is saying, hey, I fast on these particular days, and look at those guys over there, they're not fasting, they don't do this, they don't do that, and they began to think that they were holy because they would fast on certain days. They began to think they were holy because on certain days they would refrain from eating, look how holy I am, I'm fasting. Paul says, hey listen, if somebody doesn't choose to fast on this day, God is still what? Received him. He's still a child of God. It doesn't matter if he chooses not to fast or if he chooses to fast. That's why it says, if one regards it unto the Lord, okay, today I'm going to be fasting, I'm not going to eat. Don't judge someone else who says, hey, I'm not fasting. I haven't fasted all week. This is what this verse is speaking about. It's not saying, hey, eat whatever you want to eat. And if you don't want to go to church at all, you don't have to go forget about it and forget about the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. Far from it. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Now, here Paul is saying again, there's nothing unclean of itself. Now, what is he talking about? But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Well, the answer to this entire chapter, what Paul is talking about, is found in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul says here, listen, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto what? Uh Idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is what? Defiled. What is Paul talking about here? Well, during this time, when a, Christian had just, when a person had just become a Christian, they would go into the market often and they would see other, other believers there who were strong believers. And these believers were buying things. And the Gentiles, these new Christians who were weak in their mind, not understanding that, hey, you know what? Idols aren't really anything. They would see these professional believers, they're in the temple, and they're buying this food that they knew were dedicated to idols. And they're going, How could you do this? How can you, I mean, you know, you're a Christian and you're, and Paul is saying here, listen, some of these people have not the knowledge that there's really no such thing as an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Notice what he says, for if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is what? Weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat it not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, 1 Corinthians 10, 28. In other words, God is saying here, listen, or Paul rather is saying here, if God speaking through Paul is saying, listen, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you're about to just, you know, you just bought your meal and you're about to sit down, and you're about to just bite into it and enjoy it, and then one of your fellow believers who just came into the church taps you on the shoulder and your mouth is open, and he says, do you know that that was dedicated to an idol? What does Paul say to do? He says, look, this is your weaker brother. Don't what? Eat it for whose sake? His sake. Beloved, this is not talking about eating unclean meat versus clean meat. It's speaking about unclean in the sense of they thought, oh, this is dedicated to an idol and we shouldn't what? We shouldn't eat it. This is what this verse, Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 show us in regards to the problem that was going on in that time. Notice Revelation 16, 13. The distinction of clean and unclean is carried on even into the book of Revelation. The Bible says, and I saw three what? Unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Revelation 18, 2. And he cried mindly with a strong voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful what? Bird. Now, was this angel uninformed that spoke this? Did the angel, was the angel unaware that Jesus had supposedly now made no distinction between clean and unclean? Of course not, beloved. This angel is well informed, and he says, look, Babylon has become the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Matthew 15, fifteen eleven. Here's another verse that people talk about. Jesus says, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. You say, well, how do we tie that in? Well, beloved. Listen to the question that prompted this response from Jesus. Then came to to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat unclean meats. No, they wash not their hands when they eat what? Bread. What were the disciples saying? Your disciples aren't doing What? Washing their hands. Rather, the Pharisees were saying, your disciples aren't washing their hands, and this is defiling the temple. And Jesus says, no, it's not that which goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, or in other words, that which comes out of the heart. Listen to what he goes on to say. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the where? heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Did Jesus say anywhere here that to eat unclean meat does not defile a person? No. He says to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So this verse says nothing about uh, Jesus telling us that it's alright for us to eat unclean meats, and again, it is the spirit of what? Rebellion that is the actual defiling thing, and not so much the fact of the animal being unclean itself. One more, and then we're going to move to another subject that's going to take us a very little time to cover. Controversial subject, but it'll take us a short time to cover. First Timothy 4, 1 and 5 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in a latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of what? Devils. Doctrines of who? Devils. Now, who does the doctrine of devils originate with? Satan. Very good. Notice what it goes on to say. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, number one, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. People say here when I share, you know, hey, you know, I'm a vegetarian and there's certain meats that I don't eat. People say, ha, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that you are listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Question, who originated the doctrine, let's call it that, of vegetarianism? So can vegetarianism be a doctrine of the devil? No, no way. However, let's say that, you know, a person is um, abstaining from unclean foods. Who originated that doctrine? Who? Did the devil originate the doctrine of staying away from unclean food? No. Therefore, the abstaining from unclean food cannot be a doctrine of the devil. So what is being spoken about here? Well, not to get into uh, you know, too much detail on those particular verses, but if you think hard enough, beloved, you can think of a, of a system that has departed from the faith, which means it was once part of the faith, but has now departed, or rather It knows of the faith, but has departed from the faith. In other words, it's not following the true faith of the Bible, giving heed to seducing spirits, coming up with all kinds of doctrines of devils that forbids its priests to do what? Marry, and also on certain days commands to abstain from certain clean foods. And beloved, you will find nowhere in the Bible where God commands us on certain days to abstain from certain clean foods. You're just not going to find that. You will find in the Bible that God commands us to abstain from unclean meats. You will find in the Bible that God says, listen, I, it is better for you to live a life in which the principles that I gave in the Garden of Eden are being lived out in you. In other words, it is better, it is ideal to go back to that Genesis 1.29 diet, but you're not going to find anywhere where God says, on certain days, there's certain kinds of foods that I don't want you to eat. It goes on to say... Uh, foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. What foods did God create to be received with thanksgiving? Pigs. We already saw that. Pigs are not one of the foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Neither uh, flies, nor worms, or any other thing like that. In fact, some people take this verse and they say, hey, you know, anything, you know, anything is good and we can eat it. Look at what it goes on to say. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Does this include human beings? Some people say, hey, we can eat anything. Do you know that there are certain frogs that if you touch them, you die? How many of you are ready to pray over a frog, poisonous frog, and say, Lord, bless this frog? No, we're not going to do it. We've got to think, beloved, about what it's saying. It says, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If we want to find out if it is sanctified by the word of God, where are we going to go? To the where? To the word of God. And we'll find a list of those things which are sanctified and those things which are not sanctified. Colossians 2, 16, 17 tells us, that no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink Or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And we've discussed this before. This verse is not talking about meat and drink. It's talking about meat offerings in the sanctuary. Drink offerings in the sanctuary. The ceremonial Sabbaths, not the the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. This is not talking about eating food at all. It's talking about the offerings of the sanctuary. And people use that and get it mixed up about what it's really talking about. Now notice Ezekiel 22, verse 26. Because the Bible tells us here, her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no what? Difference between the holy and profane. Neither neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. And beloved, that's what's happening right now. People are being told, hey, it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what day you want, you know, you just do whatever you want to do. God doesn't, he's not concerned about that. But according to this, beloved, God is. There were no unclean animals allowed in the temple. How many of you want to be the temple of God? Beloved, when you look at the sanctuary, unclean animals were not to be brought into the sanctuary as a part of the sacrifice. Which means that you and I should not be bringing in what? Unclean animals into the sanctuary. Beloved, because we want to live healthy lives, not only healthy, but obedient. We want to be obedient to Jesus. Notice Isaiah sixty-six, seventeen: 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating what? Swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, save the Lord. That is a pretty strong text. God takes his command serious. Now, are you ready? I didn't hear any answer. Are you ready? As if you haven't been hit already, right? What about alcohol? Can alcohol defile the temple? Yes, we've talked about this before, so I'm not even going to go into it, but here is something that that I am going to touch. Are you ready? Count with me together on three. One, two, three. How many of you realize that caffeine is a drug? Let me read something to you here. How many of you realize that caffeine is found in soda, coffee, chocolate? Tea. Certain kinds of tea, that is. Popularizing. You know, alcohol is not considered to be, in many minds, something that is so bad because everybody what? Drinks it. Just like caffeine. Everybody drinks it. Everybody has it. And so it can't really be that bad. But listen, beloved, caffeine is an addictive drug. Among its many many actions, it operates using the same uh, mechanisms that amphetamines, cocaine and heroin use to stimulate the brain. On a spectrum, caffeine's effects are more mild than amphetamines, cocaine and heroin, but it is manipulating the same channels and that is one of the things that gives caffeine its addictive quality. Beloved, caffeine destroys the temple. It is a drug. It is a drug. It's just not as potent as some of these other drugs. All right. We take a breath. And now we're going to touch on one more thing. I'm going to try to do this in a very short time. Not only can Satan defile or does Satan want to defile us bodily through what we eat and take into the body, but he also wants to defile us by the spirit. I want you to notice this in Ephesians 5.18. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be what? Filled with the spirit. The devil would like to counterfeit or defile your temple by filling you with a counterfeit what? Spirit. And I want you to notice 1 Corinthians 12.4. The Bible says, now there are a diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Revelation sixteen thirteen fourteen 14 tell us, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, but Revelation sixteen thirteen fourteen 14 tell us, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of devils working what? Miracles which go forth unto the kings of the whole earth and of the world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Beloved, how many of you have ever turned on the TV and seen miracles happening on the screen right before your eyes? People being knocked down and people going into convulsions and all these different things. Beloved, the enemy of souls, one of the ways in which he's trying to defile the temple is by filling it with a counterfeit spirit. Because once it is filled with a counterfeit spirit, and I'm going to focus in real briefly on the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. And I want to, I mean, this is just going to be so simple. So simple. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30 tells us, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with what? Tongues? Do you know there's some churches say that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the spirit? You ever heard that? The Bible tells us here, it's asking, do all speak with tongues? In other words, it's saying, all don't speak in tongues. And don't let anyone tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the what? The spirit. Look at what it goes on to say. Beloved, when we want to understand what tongues is all about, all we need to do is to go to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, it tells us here in verse 4 through 8, it says, and they were all filled with the holy who? Ghost. What does the devil want to do? Fill the temple with another spirit. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own Language, beloved, speaking in tongues is not about babbling, and I hope I'm not offending anyone, but about babbling and speaking in a language that you don't know what you're saying and nobody else knows what you're saying. When the gift was given, all those who were around, it says, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? They're saying, weren't these Galileans? How is it that they suddenly have the gift to speak in all these different, what? Languages. That's what the true gift of tongues is. People talk about unknown tongues all the time. 1 Corinthians 14.2 tells us, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto men, not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. See that word there, unknown? It's italicized. What does it mean? It's not in the original writing. So now, notice, there's no such thing in the Bible as an unknown tongue. What he's simply saying here is that when I speak in a tongue that someone else doesn't understand... Then I'm simply speaking the truth of the gospel and to them, it's a what? It's a mystery. Why? Because they don't understand it. I understand what I'm saying, but they don't understand it. Same chapter, verse 14, 19, and 20. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. All he's saying is that the understanding that I have doesn't bear any fruit because nobody can understand it. He's not saying I'm speaking, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Doesn't make any sense, beloved. He's saying what my understanding doesn't bear fruit because nobody can understand what I'm saying. He says, in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue or a language that people don't understand. If I'm up here speaking Greek to you, you'll all be sitting here like, okay, we don't have no idea what he is Saying, and this is what Paul is saying don't speak in an unknown tongue, don't flaunt your gift around. Now, question when you turn that TV on or you go to that church and you hear people and it's a bedlam of noise and everybody's speaking in tongues and you don't know what anybody's saying, is this according to the principle that Paul lays out? It's far from it, beloved. It says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. And notice what he says next. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto who? This people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, say the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1421. What was written in the law? The very prophecy of the gift of tongues being given to the disciples to speak their own language or speak the language of all these other Jews who happened to be uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In other words, the Bible tells us here that the gift of tongues was simply a gift of languages. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, Isaiah twenty-eight twelve. First Corinthians fourteen twenty-seven. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three. How many of you have ever seen that? It's usually 10, 20, and 30 speaking in tongues. What does the Bible say? Let it speak by what? By two, or at most by three, and let one do what? Interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. And beloved, this principle is broken all the time. For God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Peace, as in all churches of the saints. And here's one more. You ever heard this, I speak with the tongues of angels? Listen, beloved. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Who can tell me what kind of language or what, what kind of structural uh, language uh, mechanism is being used here? Not a metaphor. Hyperbole. In other words, exaggeration is being used here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. As though if I could speak some heavenly angelic language. And he goes on to say I have not charity. I am become a sounding brass. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Could Paul understand all mysteries? No. He's just a man. He's using exaggerated language. And people take this exaggerated language and say, oh I speak in the tongues of angels. You just wouldn't understand what I'm saying. I don't understand what I'm saying. But you wouldn't understand what I'm saying either. Beloved, the Bible says nothing about some so-called tongues of angels. And what does this do? Beloved, I've I've done seminars before, my last slide here. I've done seminars where I've gone through subject after subject after subject. And then when I get to the issue of tongues and reveal what tongues are not, and I usually go way to way deeper detail. And people will say to me, Listen, I already have the gift of the Spirit. Why do I need to keep the what? The law of God. I am already holy without keeping the law. Sound familiar? Holiness without the need to keep the law of God. Beloved, what the enemy is doing is in defiling the temple and in filling the temple with a counterfeit spirit, he causes people to say, I've already got the spirit. Why do I need to keep the law? If I didn't have the spirit, why then how could I speak in tongues? Or how could I be doing healings? Or how could I be doing all these miraculous things? Beloved, the test of discipleship for God is not about what miracle you can do, but are you obeying Jesus? That's the test. And so, beloved, the enemy of souls seeks to defile the temple where God says, I have come to cleanse and purify your temple. The enemy says, if I can get get you to defile your temple physically or spiritually, through unclean spirits. There are a multitude of other ways, beloved, but I share this with you tonight to let you realize that we have got to be so grounded in our Bibles because the enemy will use whatever he can to get you to defile your temple. Beloved, how many of you want to be purified and have a clean temple? The Bible tells us that when we go to heaven, we're going to enter into the temple of the Lord and serve Him there. It is only those who have purified their temples here who will be able to enter into the purified temple there.